It is um, kind of an unusual worship service when the first word I get to say to you is the sermon and, and, and approaching you in Scripture. Um, so let me personally say welcome and thank you for being here. Um, it is just it's good to be with you and um, and, and celebrate and worship together and. Um, I hope that you would echo the feeling that this has been a service of, um, some, of celebration and of thanks. Um, I couldn't help but reflect that when we were singing Amazing Grace, um, we might not quite sing as loud as those rock band churches do all the time, but, but we got that one down, and uh, it's, it, it was good. Thank you. This morning, we are going to read a familiar passage. It's the passage of the Damascus Road from Acts chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 20. It's a beloved passage. It is a passage that uh, I may say again, but, but you can walk outside this church and make reference to a Damascus Road experience, and most people have enough knowledge about history and a Christian history to know what you're talking about. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Paul, but we're also going to think about Ananias, think about the role that he plays in this, and think about the ways that we might be called to be like Ananias in this story, not just like Paul. We think about that and think about many other things, but mostly we think about what the Lord teaches us as we turn to the, the book of Acts, chapter 9, reading verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, and a man named Ananias come to him and come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and Here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind up all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. 
I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake in my name of my name. And so Ananias went and he entered the house and he laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was there in Damascus with the disciples, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Recently, the faithful group of people that call themselves the book club here at Oxford Baptist, read a book called Through My Eyes. It was written by Tim Tebow. Some loved the book. Others, eh, it was Tim Tebow. But I'll acknowledge that for a 25-year-old who was writing a memoir, Tebow did a great job. One of the most important things that Tebow talks about in his book is the role that his Christian faith plays in his life. Though few of us would embrace Tebow in every way that he expresses his Christianity, Jesus is Lord, and we share that. And that is the most important thing. And we all did admire the way that, that as one feel, who felt convicted by God to live faithfully, Tebow was doing this. Now there was a sense in which there's a little bit of eye-rolling and disagreement about athletes talking about God. I know it's thin ice to tread on such things, but sometimes the way that he talks about his Christian faith, playing it out within a ball game, I'm just not quite sure about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like make this pass go over the defender. I don't know. If we don't succeed in games, does that mean God is not on our side? Is God for some reason a Villanova fan this week and not a Tar Heel? Even as a Duke fan, I can say, I don't think so. I think it just happens. I love sports. I love playing. I I enjoy talking about it. I listen to way too much sports talk and podcasts on the radio as I'm driving up and down the road. I love coaching uh, Cam's little soccer team. I'm, I'm not sure I'm any good at it, but it's fun. And when my teams are having a good season, I love watching the Blue Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes and even recently the Seattle Sounders play ball games and, and hopefully win and celebrate. But when it comes to the overlap of Christian discipleship and devotion to sports, I think sometimes we do a little bit of a disservice when we tie the two very closely together. We cannot do all things through Christ who strengthens us on the field, otherwise there would be a whole lot more former professional athletes sitting in this room, myself included. I had all the right gear, but I could not become a world-class runner. I really wanted to dunk the basketball like Mike, and I drank a lot of Gatorade, but it never happened. 
And I didn't like the other runners from Marcus High School, Flower Mound Marcus High School, but it turns out they were not my enemies. They were just a bunch of kids from a different high school running. We were not oppressed by the powers and principalities on this world, of this world, when we were outside on a beautiful day playing ball. We were enjoying the bodies God gave us and playing with all of our heart and all of our strength and living into something that was fun and beautiful. But when we make discipleship like sports, sometimes we do a disservice to both. Because sports is fun. And when we consider the true trials that some people do face in our congregation, in our community, and in our world, oh, to make sports something like that is, it's trivial. Discipleship, in fact, actually sometimes is a whole lot more difficult than allowing the sports metaphors, uh, than the sports metaphors would allow it to be. Consider Acts 9. Acts 9 and Paul's Damascus Road experience. Again, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story that gives way to pretty much everything here in this part of the Bible. And it's a story that has bearing on the history of the world. We know what a Damascus Road experience is, don't we? Paul's walking around the road, along the road and he's, he's, a great light comes upon him. God speaks to him, asking him, Why do you persecute me and my people? Paul was a professional persecutor. But he gets sent to Damascus to wait And so he fasts and he prays until a disciple named Ananias comes to him. And as they say, the rest is history. Usually we think about ourselves as Paul in the Acts 9 passage. We picture our lives, we think back to times when God, out of nowhere, stopped us in our tracks. We were blinded, metaphorically, of course, for the most part, without warning We were forced to rely on others to help pick us back up and put us back together. And such experiences do change us. And they do happen. It is real. Like when the heart surgeon calls, tells you he needs to work on you. Or like when your boss calls you in and you weren't expecting it. Or like when you have that conference with your child's teacher and you thought everything was going just fine. Those things do happen. But what about the other side of this story? What about the character from verses 10 through 20? When you think about Ananias' role, he had the more difficult role in this story. Paul is doing whatever he, Paul, Paul is doing what he does when out of nowhere he has, he is struck, and God makes Paul's path quite simple. He lays it all out for him. Don't persecute me. Go to this house. Wait for Ananias. Jesus is Lord. Turn around. Don't persecute me. It's simple. But Ananias is just minding his own business when God says, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and seek out that guy, Paul, or Saul at this point. The one who's been killing and and persecuting all of my people. God says, 
Go to the guy that you most fear. Seek him out. Because I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to use you to do it. And Ananias is rightfully scared. He, he responds with all he knows how to respond to and say, look, Lord, I've, I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm all in with you. But, but that guy's done some bad things to people like me. But we also see that Ananias, because God is speaking to him, he knows God's voice. He's open. And God assures Ananias that I will be with you because I'm about to be with Paul too. I'm going to use Paul, Saul, to be a messenger of the good news to all people, Gentiles and kings and Israelites. And God did use Paul to do great things. And in large part this happened because Ananias was faithful. Ananias followed God's leadership. Ananias heard God's voice. But it wasn't easy for Ananias. Which is why I wonder if maybe too often we just kind of breeze through that part. Be thankful for the times when we got through being Paul. And avoid the times when we might be called to be Ananias a little bit. When I think about Christian people, when I think about the church, and I continually wonder about the call of God and what is it that God might be calling me or us to do, I do find that at our best, the church is at its best when it's a haven for broken people. I know outside the walls of the church, many people think that we put on our ties and our neat robes and our vestments and we have beautiful new pyramids here and we look all put together. But, but behind the coat and behind the dress and behind the necktie, we're all struggling. We're all trying to keep up. We're all trying to figure this out, aren't we? On the one hand, we see a story where Paul is struck down by God, uh, but we see also that his way forward his way up, his way of understanding what it was that he was going to be called to do came because Ananias, a faithful disciple who was still just like us, trying to figure it all out, took a step towards the real anxieties and fears that he had that God promised that he would be with him during. Ananias was brave enough to listen and step forward in the face of fear. Ananias was able to reach out to the one who he was most afraid of. Think about that. And then wonder, is discipleship always about being the one that's struck down and told that we're wrong? Maybe sometimes discipleship, true discipleship, true faithfulness, means following God when God is wanting to help us reach beyond our fears, to provide grace and hope and love and power to someone like Paul, Saul, who really needs it. Someone who God is really ready to use and reach out and love. Isn't that what this story is also about? And if it is, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we fear? What do we avoid? Who do we wish were not crossing our paths? And then we put ourselves in the role of Ananias and wonder, Will I be sent to those that I most fear? 
remember as a child, every kid in my youth group was afraid of going to Africa. God might call me to Africa, and I don't know if I want to be a missionary in Africa. Could God use someone I would think is the least likely to become an instrument of grace and love in this world? Do I need to see myself in the Ananias part of the story and not just the Paul part, waiting for God to flash a light around me? And as scary as that might be, the thing that I, I, I can't help but believe, I can't help but think about is the possibilities for God to work. Because I believe with all that I have that if God is calling us to face some fears, the best way to know that God is with us is to step forward into those fears with God. Because you see, it's in conversations and it's in questions and it's in challenges that discipleship, following Jesus, though it may get difficult, it also gets real and it's where we get to see God show up. And provide for us in ways we can't provide for ourselves. That's what we need God to do for us, isn't it? I have a, personally, a unique relationship with this Pope, Pope Francis. Because on the same Sunday that the, 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 the cardinals elected Pope Francis, you elected me to be your pastor. And so if for only that reason... We've been on the job about the same amount of time. And maybe we've made people happy and sad about the same amount of percentages. He's got a few more than I do. But this week he released a document that is really kind of interesting to the church. And it has no bearing on us as Baptists except the encouragement in this to welcome God's people and to love them. A quote from a newspaper article about it, the only one I read at newspaper, the newspaper on my iPhone that I read, makes clear that the Pope wants local bishops and priests to be a church that greets God's people with empathy, empathy and love and comfort. It sounds like, it, it's almost as if the Pope knew what preachers needed to preach, that Acts 9 was up in the lectionary, and he thought, here's how all of y'all can be Ananias this week. Just love the people who come to you. Just love the people who I'm calling you to love. Be aware that life is not just about being the ones who are struck down on the Damascus Road. Sometimes life is about being Ananias and helping pick up the ones who were struck down. Yes, that makes discipleship difficult. But life is difficult, isn't it? I know what some of you are going through, have gone through. I had a sore stomach for two weeks, and that pales in comparison to the surgeries that some of you have had even in the last 12 months. Sure, we make life seem easy. We hide our shame, our fears, and our anxieties, but all of those things are real. And in the midst of all of those things, we can quote Paul from Romans who encourages us to do this. Do not conform anymore to this world, the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that the will of God will be in you. The God's will that is perfect and acceptable. 
Before I close, I want to share just a little simple example about how, how this has struck me in the last year. Last summer during vacation Bible school, I invited Mark and Kim Wyatt, missionaries who live here in the Triangle with CBF Global Missions, to come and talk to anybody who wanted to just have lunch with them. I didn't know Mark and Kim. I just knew that people liked them, and I knew they were CBF missionaries, and I thought, it can't hurt for us to listen to people working with CBF. They're right here. They began to talk about the refugee ministry that they did, and I was nervous, because I didn't know any refugees, I didn't think, at the time. Everything I'd seen in the news about refugees was negative. And, and though I knew it would be okay for Baptist men to build bunk beds because they're Baptist men, put a hammer and a nail in their hand and just let them go to town, which is what we do. I didn't know what being Ananias for a refugee family meant, which is what Mark and Kim do every single day. Then on the first Wednesday of December, on a day that was too busy for me to do what it was I decided to do, I went to lunch at the Welcome House in, in Raleigh. It's right there in the shadow of Cameron Village. You wouldn't have any idea it was there except to be told the address. And I went down to have lunch with a bunch of pastors as Mark and Kim showed us around the Welcome House, talked about what they did, and a man was there who was a refugee whose family was in the process of coming over. And this man, who I'm ashamed to say I can't remember his name, turned out he was from Afghanistan, that scary place on the other side of the world, but he had been working as a translator for U.S. Special Forces in Afghanistan. He stepped out in faith to help our country's military do the work that they're trying to do. And after doing that for about five years, the government allowed him to come and live here with us. And the man was kind and loving and so thankful to be here. And there was nothing for me to have been ever afraid of when it came to him. I was afraid because I didn't know what that meant. But somehow, even though all I wanted to do was go have a lunch on a very busy day, I was shown something new. Mark and Kim were ananized to me, and I was able to see how our church, our Baptist men in some ways, are being ananized to others. Turns out God works with us even through our fears if we let God do so. And sometimes God does so even when we don't want to let God do it. And I suppose that's what I was doing on that day. I began talking about Tim Tebow. In sports and the trials we face when we face our enemies on the field. Tebow's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. I wish life were as simple as the stories sometimes make it out to be. I wish the biggest challenges we faced were the enemies that our teams confronted on the ball court. But that's not always what life is about. It's more complex. It's more difficult. But the thing we know about that, the good news in that, is that when it gets difficult, we know God will be with us. 
Because when it gets difficult, when God calls us to be like Ananias, the one thing we know for sure is if we step forward into our fears in faith, God will be there with us each step of the way. I pray that as individuals and as a church, we'll be faithful to follow God's lead, however God is leading us to face any fears that we may have. I pray that we will have the courage to be open to God's calling, the same way that Paul was, and the same way that Ananias was in relation to the Pauls that we fear. I pray that perpetually we will not be so focused on our fears or the difficulties we face that we will perpetually feel like we're Paul. Because in fact, oftentimes we're not. Often I think we're a whole lot more like Ananias. And the good news of this story is twofold. God was with Ananias, and the world we live in very much needs a bunch of Ananiases running around. Being Ananias may mean our discipleship is a little bit more difficult, but God will be with us no matter what. And that is good news indeed. Shall we pray? Gracious, holy, and loving God, we come to you this morning knowing that not all of the stories of Scripture are the easy ones, but we know that every story in Scripture calls us to be someone that walks right beside you and that you promise to walk right beside. And so this morning, no matter what it is that we fear, a step forward in faith, reaching out to someone that, that we might not otherwise, conquering an obstacle that seems like it's an obstacle that has been facing us for so long. Lord, no matter what we fear, help us to have the faith to step forward like Ananias and grant us the assurance that when we do step out, you will meet us there. Whether it's stepping out into the aisle today, whether it's stepping out into recommitment today, whether it's stepping out in some way that you've laid on our heart and we have been putting off for days and days and days past. Lord, help us to see your presence, to feel your love with us, and to feel your love carrying us forward today as we don't become paralyzed by our fears, but we allow our fears to reach the pauls of this world who very much need your love from us. Loving God, this our prayer we offer in your great name with great faith. Amen.